The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Today is election day. The pontificating is over. The voting will close tonight. The counting and the waiting and the waiting will begin. So I thought this would be a good time to take a break from the usual, from policy and politics. After all, I'm a businesswoman, not a politician, and today I'm going to really try hard to just be a businesswoman. It's too stressful otherwise. I'm also a bit of an idealist, as most of my regular listeners know. I've always believed that one can do good while at the same time making a little money. It's a concept that's, re- that's usually re- referred to as social impact. And social impact ha- is an investment mo- modality today. So here to help us to understand what social capital or social investment is and how it can make a difference in your life and life of other people are Monica Meng and Gideon Cohn, who are the co-founders of a company called Good Capital. And I'm gonna let them introduce themselves as the co-founders and um, husband and wife team who've come together to have an impact on 21st century America and 21st century, the larger world. So Monica, take it away. Thanks, Joyce. Thanks for having us. We're so excited to be here. So as Joyce mentioned, I'm Monica Meng, and this is my co-founder. Hi, I'm Gideon Cohn. We're the founders of Good Capital Investment Group, a sustainable and socially responsible wealth management practice. We're all about creating change using our money, and we're on a mission to have a positive impact on society through investing, to do well by doing good. Just to give you a little bit of background of where I've come from, um, I began my career in finance in an analyst group at City, worked in tons of different roles in product management, sales, operations, in all different parts of the bank. Um, I roughly left finance because I wanted to look for something a little bit more meaningful. And so I left to pursue my passion in education and I taught preschool in Manhattan. Um, preschool was really interesting, <laughs> really rewarding very underappreciated and undervalued, um, but I, I was really passionate about education and still am. Um, so I transitioned into the education technology world, worked at a few startups, got my master's in education, and then coming out of grad school, a lot of different things in Gideon in my life came together, which is how Good Capital was formed, but quickly I'll let Gideon talk, tell you about his background. So I have been in wealth management basically since after college. Um, I am a CFP, Certified Financial Planner, uh, FINRA Security Exam Series 7, Series 63, and have been basically working in wealth management at a boutique firm outside of New York City. Um, As Monica alluded to, when we first started dating, we were all about really trying to create impact through our own personal life. And this included where we shopped and what we ate, and eventually it extended to what we were investing in. And our own personal assets were not reflecting the life that we wanted to live and the future that we wanted to build. 
So in the process of becoming more, um, you know, living up to our millennial uh, expectations, uh, our, our investments were not living up to that. So we changed our investments. And since we did it for ourselves and it took, you know, months and months of research, uh, we figured we'd want to do it for other people and build it out for, uh, for clients. So that's what we did. We built up good capital. That is such a millennial difference. It's a real difference with Gen Y, Gen X, and, and we uh, late baby boomers who, who were taught that, you know, uh, investment was about uh, security. And, uh, and, and millennials have had a lot more focus on both their own sense of fulfillment and their social impact on the world. And so why don't we take a second and, and talk more broadly about what the term social impact investing means? Sure, don't you want me to start? Absolutely. I can start. So there's a lot of different words for pretty much the same thing. So you, can, you may have heard it referred to as social impact investing, socially responsible investing, ESG investing, sustainable investing, it's pretty much all of the same thing. Um, and the general idea is to grow your wealth while also creating change in the public markets and to influence large corporations and organizations to consider and adopt environmental, social, and governance factors. So that's where the ESG comes in, the environmental, social, and governance factors. Um, so these factors are um, things like how much carbon emissions um, a company has, how much their water usage is, whether or not they have diverse boards and diverse leadership teams, how well they treat their employees, whether or not they take their communities into consideration. Um, all of these other factors in addition to looking at a company's um, financial metrics. And Joyce, you mentioned just before Monica started talking that you know older generations looked at their investments as security. Well, I also look at investments as security. When I'm dealing with portfolio management and portfolio construction, I am always looking at risk within a portfolio. And when we cater our portfolios to our values, I also believe that we're de-risking our portfolios. I mean, it's, it's astounding to me that we're in the, you know, 20 years into the 21st century, yet over 2% of the, you know, securities in uh, the U.S. is coal-based. And that's it, that, that, sorry. Go go ahead. That no, that is that is astounding. I mean, we're yeah. we're in the third decade of the 21st century, and we have governance practices and industrial um, sectors that reflect uh, the late 19th century. Absolutely. So when we when we you know build our portfolios for you know the millennials we're just shifting the tides from the old way of doing business into the new way of doing business and to hold some of these companies in your portfolio whether in a passive or an active or a target date fund it's like holding an iphone 2 in your pocket nobody does that why are we doing that and and that's what <laughs> we're doing we're trying to eliminate that dead weight and 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 you know usher in the, the new wave of innovation Yes, I know I'm waiting for next week to go look for a new Apple phone. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to get the latest and greatest, right? Um, so talk about that a little more, Gideon. Talk about the kinds of what, what you've, the reception you find in the marketplace um, for ideas around improved 
diversity in terms of boards, a focus on uh, sustainability, whether it's climate related or, you know, demographically related, et cetera. So how, how, you know, talk about how an investment fund like yours influences um, or chooses its investments um, looking at some of those characteristics. Absolutely. So there, there's a couple different screens that we'll, that we use in order to build the portfolios. And most of you might be familiar with negative and positive screenings. So the negative screenings is, you know, on a baseline, when you're looking at a universe of securities, you have criteria or we have criteria that we've come up with that reflect what we want, not only for um, growth prospects for the portfolios, but also from a social prospect. And immediately, if there's things that don't represent us, we eliminate them right away. So we eliminate industries where uh, industries or companies where 5% or more of the uh, revenue is derived from tobacco, from, from weapons, from coal, from um, private prisons. Because no matter what we do as you know, impact investors, there's nothing that we can do to these companies in order to shift that core product away from that. So we, we, we automatically eliminate those companies. The next is to do a positive screen. So Joyce, we were referring to before about diversity. We look for a diverse board. We look for a diverse C-suite because we know, and it's been proven time and time and time again, that diverse boards and diverse C-suites only lead to more growth sales. And that's because these individuals have insights into markets that other people don't have. You know, if you have a half board of women, half board of men, well, you're, you got yourself covered in terms of a large demographic of people. But if you alienate a demographic, you're, you're not opening up your, your company to sales. So these negative and positive screens really allow us to, you know, identify companies that not only align with our values, but also have these growth prospects for products and services. So you would not automatically eliminate, let's say, BP, you know, the British Petroleum uh, Company as, as a potential investment target. We, we really try to stay away from energy. Um, it's just not something that we, we want to touch. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of volatility. And I, I perceive that there's going to be more volatility as we move away from some of these traditional energy sources. So we really do try to stay away from the energy, energy sector as a whole, which is actually not a very big sector. Joyce, also, I mean, we, we do also recognize that we live in a fossil fuel based economy as of now. And, there's also a lot of these fossil fuel companies also are investing in renewable energy. Um, and a lot of them are doing a lot of work in that space. Um, so we definitely, we definitely do recognize that for sure. Yeah, that was why I was thinking of that one specific company because it does have a huge investment in renewables and has for almost 20 years now been looking at renewables. But, but I guess my question is a little different, Gideon. It's, it's, uh, it goes back to, um, you know, without getting political, it goes back to the discussion about uh, the elimination of the oil industry, which, you know, it isn't going to happen because uh, petroleum is so much more than fossil fuels. It's dyes and detergents and plastic. You can't make an N95 mask without using extruded plastic, which is a petroleum-based product. So that, that's why I'm asking, is, oh. is there a way in which for funds like yours, you know, use your, your um, investment wealth 
to influence the speed of change and, and the and the social and and the climate intelligence of those sorts of companies beyond the regulatory environment. Absolutely. So, I, first of all, I, I do not think by any means that there's such thing as a fossil fuel free portfolio. That is not possible. I mean, right now we're using Zoom over a MacBook that has plastic pieces. So it's just it's just not possible to have a, a fossil fuel free portfolio. Yeah, try and build a try and build a Tesla without plastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not possible. It's not feasible. So uh, so I, I recognize that. But no, absolutely. I, we have incredible influence as investors. You know, when we when we go into an, a position, since we're owners, we have, we're shareholders in that position. We have say, and there's a lot of say there. I mean, money talks, and and when you and when we as an investment firm go and vote via proxy voting or something really goes wrong or awry with the company, we can, we can raise shareholder resolutions. So there's a lot of power that does come with, with being an investor and having stakes in these, in these companies. And, and sure, we, we influence them all the time and try, and try to have, um, you know, these companies reevaluate their sustainable practices because we know, again, from data and research that if a company is being sustainable, they're going to lower their costs, which is only going to help the bottom line revenue. Um, it's just, it's time and time again, it's just saving money by going renewable and, and therefore passing that on to not only the shareholders, but all stakeholders. Yeah. I just also wanted to add, as the social impact investing space is growing, actually, and as there are more and more ESG funds being created and more funds flowing into these ESG, more money flowing into the ESG funds, this is also influencing companies in wanting to be included in all of these ESG funds. So they're actually adopting all of these environmental, social, and governance factors and trying to get rated higher on them so that they're included in these funds, which is also driving the, the industry in a positive direction. So you see yourself actually from, from a business point of view, being able to attract more capital um, as your influence grows in terms of how you're perceived by industry. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And I think also there's that, there's going to be a huge shift in wealth, right? There's that wealth transfer coming up, coming to a lot of wealth coming to millennials. And as women and people of color are investing more, I think they're also driving this want for social impact investing. Um, so more and more advisors, funds, people in the investment industry are catering to millennials and women's needs. And there's, again, so, there's, there's so much data behind this. It's just, it's incredible. Like we, we, we invest for some of our accredited investors in a, a non, non-traded REIT company. And part of their acquisition process when they purchase properties, they'll go ahead and get the property certified for sustainability metrics, the star, the star certification. And as soon as they do that, the property is worth more instantly. So not only is that capital creating, you know, social, social change and, and environmental change through these sustainable practices, but they're also creating capital by, by moving into the sustainable model. Yeah, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation is because I feel so strongly that um, it is funds like yours that will drive more rapid change than, uh, than government policy. 
Well, government policy. Well, no, government policy is going to lag because capital is more fluid. Right. Okay. Right. And because capital is the capital is what they need is the is the seed that that creates growth. Um, where you know government regulation has the opposite impact. So in fact, um, you're moving, you're you're forcing companies to move in a direction um, for their own good and for their shareholders and stakeholders that has an environmental benefit. So where you know the old the old adage of doing good while doing well. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So without naming any names, what are the kinds of, of sources of wealth that, that are attracted to social impact investing? Is, is this something where you see universities leading or individual investors or some of the major, you know, investment funds in order to, you know, I mean, is this a, it's not, it's definitely not philanthropy. So, you know, is this major state, you know, the state of California, for example, is a, is a major investor in things like, you know, housing, which in California, that's kind of an irony in terms of California's particular predicament. Um, so, I mean, is, are those targets that you would go after, those big pension funds, et cetera, in order to, you know, would they be, would they be attracted given that the, course of of the next 10 years more toward a traditional fund or something like the fund you're building that has this dual purpose right now we only serve client individuals and families um so our clients are just people like you and me at the moment um mm-hmm. that being said there's so much untapped potential especially coming from and we've thought about we're we're hoping to get into serving this sector eventually, but foundations and nonprofits and other organizations that are really, really mission-driven, a lot of the times they don't think about what their money is invested in or what it's doing when they're, if their mission is promoting social justice, then at the same time, they're invested in private prisons. And this happens quite frequently, actually, because they don't think about aligning their investments with their values. So I do think that in terms of market potential, there's so much untapped potential in the nonprofit um, foundation space. The pension space is a little bit more tricky because there's more regulation in terms of what they're allowed to invest in and what they're what data they're even allowed to look at in terms of investing. So I think that's going to be a little bit harder to push in the direction of social impact investing. I think if, if firms are not looking at this data in 10 years, they're going to be left behind. Do you think it's going to take 10 years? I, you're I, now the largest. I, I, you're the large. I was going to say two years, but I, I thought yeah, that was a little. No, no. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm a late stage baby boomer. Okay. So, so I'm going to tell you, millenni- you, you, you millennials are now the largest group in the country in terms of both size and wealth. Your moment of impact has arrived, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast. I mean, you need to seize the moment. And there's no doubt, there is no doubt, if you you look back at the last couple of years from a political point of view, uh, there is little doubt 
that there is a major interest in the climate change phenomena. I mean, it, every one of the really large states ha is impacted in one way or another, whether it's hurricanes or fires or, you know, or, or land erosion, et cetera. So it, it's kind of undeniable at this point. So I would think, you know, it's like Caesar sees the moment. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I, because it is your it is your moment, um, and and it is it is an imperative for your generation. Yeah, I mean it's so, it's our future that we want to live in. You know, it's it's you know fifty years down the line, there's going to be some changes in technology that's going to propel us in the future, and and our our firm and our investment strategy is in place to capture that and fund that and and see that come to fruition. I think we we know that for your generation, the impact that you, the social impact element is so much uh, is in the forefront, where, you know, in, in previous generations, it has not been, and that it will drive change in corporate governance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the last five months, it's been an awakening for us. I mean, we've been we've been in for business for almost a little over two years now. And you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement was, you know, at its height in a couple, couple of months back, we really did some soul searching and we're a social impact firm. So like, what more can we do in order to promote uh, diversity inclusion within corporate America? So when, when at, the, at the height of all that, surveys went out to all of the holdings asking for data on employees concerning their pay, their position, their, their race, in order to see what is happening under the hood of a company. And we have not gotten the, the data back yet. It takes a long time to source this data. Um, but once it's, it's back and it's collected and it's analyzed, then policy can be made within the corporation in order to, to promote diversity. And this is what we're trying to do. I mean, this is to, 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 to be invested and to generate profit is just not enough anymore. The company needs to be fair to all stakeholders, not shareholders. That's their employees. That's their environment. That's the community at large. It's it, profits are not, not good enough. And this model and this model of, of being a, a social enterprise, a company being a social enterprise only creates more profit. When a company is perceived to be a good corporation by the public, people want to spend money. People want to support that company. People want to support their community. So the, again, the model is there. The data is there. This is how business will be done moving forward. And people want to do, and, and your consumer and your investor wants to feel good about how they are spending their money. Absolutely. And again, that de-risks your por portfolio. If a company does not have a CSR, corporate responsibility, then that leaves a risk, right? It right. leaves risk open to the company because they're not perceived well by the, by the public. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. so I think there are two points, you know, that, that are really important. One is the management of risk includes the management of, you know, social awareness and impact, whether it's scientific or social, it becomes as important as PE ratios. 
in determining whether a company is sustainable long-term and thus a good investment. Totally. I love that analogy. That's spot on. And Monica, you're nodding. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with everything. I, Gideon, Gideon often speaks for me. Uh, (laughs) um, what What I also wanted to say though, was Joyce to your point about how this is really a point in history where it feels like it's an inflection point. It feels like it's time, right? It's, it's finally time that everyone is not just getting was saying we were, we had an awakening. I think all of our clients, our communities, everyone across the board has had this awakening that, Oh wait, I can personally also have an impact on the world that I want to live in. Um, and we've definitely seen that, especially in the past six months or so where people are coming to us where before, before I think pe- we had to go to people and try to convince them of, Oh, you should, consider doing social impact investing. And this is why, and all of the reasons that Gideon mentioned before, but now it's the past six months, it's been, how can I make my investments more sustainable? How can I make my money better aligned with my values? What can I personally do? How can I make a difference? Yeah. This yeah. is how you make a difference. Yeah. And it's been yeah. really inspiring to see that coming from people. Yeah. You know, just to button this up, it's also in keeping with America's entrepreneurial and capitalistic traditions that we make change, not just through our social systems, but through how we do business, where we do business, and and when we do business. Um, Or as our very liberal mayor, uh, governor here in California says, you know what? Business creates jobs. And what you're doing will create good jobs. You do understand that, that what you're doing is, is going to create better opportunities, not just for minorities to move up the, the, the um, corporate ladder, but the kinds of companies that you're going to invest in are the companies who will produce the jobs of tomorrow. Right. And we're also ushering in this change, right, from stakeholder capitalism, which has been around for decades now. I mean, sorry, the shareholder capitalism. Shareholder Right, which has been around for decades now, and we're moving towards the stakeholder capitalism, which is what we're investing in. And also there's the business roundtable that came out earlier this year saying mm-hmm. this is the way to go, right? Considering, I, would, considering yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. 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 That, that you're exactly aligned with the roundtable. I mean, the, the letter they put out early this year totally aligns with what you are doing. And, and that means they're, they're, that confluence um, is a very positive sign, both for the success of good capital, but for the idea that people are going to choose to invest where their money has, has, an, has a social impact. That, that people, I think most people, all right, here's the moment where the baby boomer gets idealistic. I think most people want to do good. I mean, despite what I've seen on on Twitter today or on television over the weekend with these, you know, crazy things that are happening, I think the majority of people want to do good. And if they can do well at the same time, I think that bodes well for us as a nation. And should we continue, uh, choose to continue to be it, the leader of a rules-based world. I mean, my theory of, of Chinese relations is not is we shouldn't impose tariffs on them. We should impu- impose carbon restrictions on them. That that would do the world a whole lot m- more good. In closing, um, 
you guys are more open to individual investors than to the big pension funds. And how do people find you? Check us out online. Um, we are very present on all forms of social media, um, but our website is www.goodcapitalinvestmentgroup.com. Um, we have a newsletter. Please sign up for that. We talk about all things from how to do sustainable investing, how to align your money in other forms, whether it's banking or being a conscious consumer. Um, and we talk about, yeah, all things personal finance and aligning your money with your values. And moving America from a stockholder economy to a stakeholder economy. Thank you both so much for your time. And Thank we'll you. look forward to checking in with you again. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.